Hello, this is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick plug before we start, my folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. And now, back to your regularly scheduled Retrotube. Welcome to the Retrotube Halloween bonus episode. This is the podcast in which my friend Heather and I force each other to squint at dodgy VHS copies of TV shows from the 60s, 70s and 80s, and then speak aloud into a microphone about what we think. And what better way to celebrate the spooky season than to inflict onto Heather the alarming Paul Daniels 1987 Halloween special. Newton Edward Daniels was one of the kings of Saturday evening light entertainment and, apart from the ever-present possibility of Hans Moretti getting a crossbow bolt through the forehead, the Paul Daniels magic show was always a pretty cosy affair, suitable for family viewing. I refuse to make the obligatory wig joke here. But for 1987, Paul decided to unleash what he described as a piece of black theatre upon the nation. It became one of the most complained about broadcasts in television history. And not just because of Paul's wig, damn. He's not even wearing a wig in this one. <clears throat> Heather, going into this episode, what were your thoughts about Paul Daniels? I love Paul Daniels. That's totally allowed. I'm putting it out there to you right now. My favourite thing in the whole world is a magician. <laughs> I bloomin' love a magician. I'm, I, honestly, like... Somebody could just say that as a chat-up line and I would marry them without them even doing a card trick. I just, I can't tell you how much I love magicians. Um, and, and I have always, always loved uh, the Paul Daniels, Debbie McGee conglomerate. And uh, But I, I know for a fact we would not have watched this, even though I wouldn't remember it anyway because it was in 1987 and I was just about four. Um, I know we wouldn't have seen this. Because, uh, obviously, growing up in a quite staunchly Christian household, watching magic on Halloween, probably not a thing we would have done. Not a good combination. Not that I think for a second that Mr Daniels was ever in touch with any beings <laughs> on the other side. I just think, you know, he, he, he played one hell out yes. of a card trick. Um, but, yeah, no, we, we, we would not have watched that anyway. But I, and, and I'd heard, I'd heard about this particular show, but only sort of... Nobody said anything specific about it. It was just like, oh, that 1987 thing Paul Daniels did. Phew, that's all I know. I didn't. It might well have been me going on about no, it. No, no, no. It's not just been you. <laughs> although I, although I know you've <laughs> you've had issues with this for a long time. This is like therapy for you. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> no, other. We may be here for some time. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. He, it, it's it's not going to hurt you. You're fine. You're safe. I've got you. But he was so small. <laughs> I know. I no. Yeah, I I have often thought, particularly viewing this, because I think Paul Daniels was a really good entertainer. Mm. Um, and I think it's a shame that in, in the 90s, and maybe it's a thing that the 90s had to do, but it was such a sneery decade. Yes. Um, and so a lot of the great entertainers from the late 70s and 80s, the ones we can still talk about today, mm. were kind of just dismissed as rubbish in the 90s and it took them a long time for people to sort of go actually Paul Daniels was really good it's sort of almost like people who were children in the 80s 
and were teenagers in the 90s had to go, oh, I'm too cool for that now. And just like the whole of culture became just sneery and sniffy. And um, I really like Penn and Teller, mm. but they had a TV show, their first British TV show on Channel 4 in the 90s. Every episode they'd have a go at Paul Daniels. And mean. I just found that a bit rude. It is a bit rude. Coming over here. Slacking off our magicians. Having a girl, our top magician. Exactly. <laughs> and even at, the t- even at the time, me sort of being, uh, buying a little bit into that sort of arch, post-ironic 90s culture, even then I kind of thought, hang on, that's, that's, that's a bit much. <laughs> Bloody love a card <laughs> trick. <laughs> Although having said that, we're going to... Um, go through the episode so i may contradict myself but we but we will um we'll get to that we'll come to Anne robinson's dress later but generally um how do you feel now having watched the infamous 1987 halloween special not okay adam i'm not okay i'm not okay i am sorry poor paul it's traumatic isn't it (laughs) so traumatized even knowing knowing that it was a trick because it had to be a trick because he didn't die for another like 15 years or something 31 years no 29 years he had a, he had a good 29 years and he, after he had a while didn't he but just hmm. just no be, be, just because no but uh, <laughs> it was not no if i'd watched that going out i would have needed counseling genuinely he's a very naughty boy he's a naughty boy flipping egg paul <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I, I i loved it i loved it and I'm still not okay. I'm not okay in the best of all ways. So we'll have a look at the show in general because obviously people generally only remember that trick, but there was a whole 40-minute show. And it's maybe not memorable for a reason other than just how memorable the final trick was, but we will come to that. Paul, after there were lots of complaints about this show, Paul wrote a very cross letter to the Times about how you just can't win, basically, that if you do the same thing over and over again, you get criticism. But if you try something a bit different, you get criticism. Although one could argue that there are other ways of trying something different than really alarming your audience in that way. <laughs> well, I'm just I'm just going to take it up a notch. I'm going to do a really big trick. I'm going to impress a lot of people. Maybe if I fake my own death. No, Paul, no, please, no. It's sort of the equivalent of a teenager going, well, I wish I was never born. <laughs> it is. It's exactly That's the like way you feel. That. I'm going to kill myself on television. <laughs> and intentionally this time. And intentionally, yes. That'll serve you right. But one of the things he out- outlined in his letter was that the continuity announcer at the start said... Here, live on BBC One, all is not what it seems as if we were supposed to remember this subtle clue <laughs> half an hour 40 minutes later that we just go oh no wait the woman at the beginning said all is not what it seems so actually it's probably fine yeah all is not as it seems but he did spend like 10 minutes before the trick saying there's a very big chance that this could go wrong and legit i might die yeah <laughs> don't, i don't <laughs> want to alarm you but the rest of the show so it starts um, with the wobbliest levitation trick I've ever seen. Yes, that was that was certainly even even I was a bit like, come on. <laughs> Do you think anyone watching was fooled by? I I don't. I, if, I, be... if if I wasn't, then nobody else would have been. 
I think we I think we need to put my sense of my my suspension of disbelief is like I am the easiest person in the world to fool about anything because I genuinely believe that any <laughs> any vague any conjurer with any vague amount of capability is an actual superhero. So if I look at a magic trick and think, yeah, I can see how you're doing that, then then everybody else is going to be, you know, laughing a long time before I am. I was so distracted by the wobbly levitation. Uh, I'm not going to say, <laughs> I'm not going to say table but, or platform, but, <laughs> we're certainly, but there we, was some kind of... There was certainly a table. There was certainly something moving about attached to a stick. Do you think that... In our post-Derren Brown world, we wouldn't see that kind of trick on television now. But do you think even in 1987, how many hundreds of times do you think audiences had seen a middle-aged man make a lady rise into the air on a, an obvious lift? I, I I wouldn't like to hazard a guess. And I don't know whether it's just a sort of, it's just a thing we do and the the, the less cynical 80s audiences are just uh, are watching this thinking, oh yeah, so it's a magician doing a magician thing rather than like, whoa, how's he doing that? It's more like, oh yes, he's doing one of those magician things that magicians do. It's just sort of like part of the routine. Yeah. I was also distracted because you you know me, you know me and my ability to concentrate and I, and I, I just don't have one. Um <laughs> Yeah. The introduction for me went on so long that I kind of forgot what I was watching. And at first I was like, oh, am I watching a period drama? And then Paul Daniels appeared and I was like, yeah, no, he's not really he's not really the lead type in, in a period drama. And then I felt bad for thinking about that because why isn't he? But it's because he's Paul Daniels. That was an amazing cape, though. Yes. I like he could pull off a cape without being embarrassed by it. Ugh. I mean, yeah. I love a cape, I love a magician, I love a card trick. I mean, this is the show for me. That's what I'm saying to you. Yes, it did go on though, didn't it? It the, did a little uh, bit. And I loved the music was, you know, when you fill glasses with different levels of water and then yes, that w- that's what the music was for about the first 10 minutes, I think. Mm. Just that, squeaking some wet glass. We're here in Clandon Park near Guildford and it's, uh, thank you very much, and this is a, a stately home and we're very grateful of course to the National Trust for letting us come in here. We're here because this is Halloween, this is a live show and we may later investigate the possibility of the ghost that's supposed to walk through these marble halls. And in here as you can see our party is already in full swing and we have with us various dignitaries. We, I mean I've got to tell you I'm moving in good circles now with the Viscountess uh, chief superintendent of the uh, Surrey Police Force. Yeah, that's not something. That's another thing you probably wouldn't get nowadays. A mainstream magic show. Anne Robinson. With uh, well, you, yes, Anne Robinson and John Humphreys, but also just show where the guests are uh, by his own admission dignitaries. Mm. So not 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 members of the public. Mm. This is a, a proper no riff raff event. Yeah, isn't it? this is this is a posh do. I would never be invited to a do like that. You might be. I, I, I wouldn't. You, no, I wouldn't. I'm sure you would. No, not with my hair. You could borrow mine. They'd keep giving me their empty glasses. I'll have you know I've been a chimney sweep in my time. <laughs> <laughs> I have, it's true. I know. <laughs> there is one good joke in the show. I really liked the joke about the owl. Her name is Elsie. Elsie. Well, Elsie, that is the name of the owl. Elsie. Not her real name, of course. That's just her initials. Yes, I wrote that down too. 
<laughs> That's a genuinely good joke. It's an actual joke. But when when they first came in, because before they walked in, when they were still on the steps outside, and Paul had said, "This is this is a Halloween party," and then they walked in, and all the lights were off in the hall, and it was just them and Elsie in two randoms. I was like, "This is the worst party I've ever witnessed." Because even at hmm. the actual party, it was still deathly quiet. Nobody was having any fun. Yes. I wrote down that it's more like an episode of the Antiques Roadshow. Yes, a lot more like that. Just a lot of people standing around in the background watching something. Yes. Looking vaguely uncomfortable. Yes, a lot of that. I loved the, as a rather Alan Partridge moment, when he fawns over the local Conservative MP. Over here is is the MP, be upstanding for the MP for this area, known to them all as our Ian. It's true, isn't it? Nice to meet you, Sir Turner. It's not really Sir yet, but he will be. Uh, Not yet, not yet, not yet. Which is very Alan Partridge. And on my right, the Conservative Party candidate, Adrian Finch. Adrian and his wife, Rosemary, have been married for 14 years, and together they have three lovely children. Adrian, I believe you're also a big fan of steam engines. Yes, that's right, Alan. It's a full steam ahead for the (laughs) (laughs) by-election. Lovely, lovely sense of (laughs) humour. I actually did a bit of research. I found out who this man was oh. because he, he uh, Paul Daniels refers to him as our Ian. This he is Ian Taylor, and he was the Conservative MP for Isha. Oh well, say no more, Isha. Um, so um, Ian Taylor in that clip, he is four years younger than me. What? He looks old enough to be your dad. I know. That's what I was thinking. He's forty-two. <laughs> he had a tough paper round, didn't he? <laughs> So there's a lot of padding in that early mm. part. It takes quite a long time to get to what is quite an unspectacular trick. I liked it. <laughs> there's no point in asking <laughs> me how I feel about anything because like, I, I gasped at everything. You might be a bit less cynical about this whole programme than me. In that case, I'm coming from a much more uh, jaded angle. You're coming, you're coming from an actual grown-up angle. Oh, it's a wooden block that's fallen... And like, oh, the ropes aren't tied together anymore. <laughs> no, I loved. It. I I properly lost my mind when he picked the slate up and it had Houdini written on it. Blair, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I am. Re- I am really this bad. Uh. When this was fitted inside here, like so, and then pushed all the way up to the top like so, they would then impale the the block on the rod like this, and then, is that on there? Yes, good. They would then um, do this with the lock and get it all fastened together. My problem with that trick, other than it was very still, Hmm. but but in the post-Darren Brown world that we live in, they look like a magician's props. Hmm. And... Um, I think now we sort of recognise they're magicians' props, so there's probably something up with them. It's it's like those flowers that they pull from their sleeves that always look the same because they're designed in a special way to fold up very small. And honestly, any kind of a magic trick just sign me the hell up. I went to see Pete Furman a few years ago, who is my favourite magician. Oh, and I was sat on the front row and. I didn't get to see how any of them were done. He's just amazing. So then we come to Eugene Berger. 
Now, Eugene Berger has something that Paul Daniels doesn't have. What's that, sir? A great big bushy beard! Eugene Berger I hadn't heard of before. No, me neither. Um, he struck me as the sort of that sort of overbearing middle-aged man you meet at dinner parties who talks over young women and just tries to impress them but never actually listens. Mm. Is that harsh? Not at all. I, I got that impression too. His magic trick, his first magic trick is very bizarre. His story about the creation of the universe, it's some kind of Hindi myth. Yeah. With a piece of thread. Yes. Yellow cotton thread. A single length which will represent the entire universe. In Hindu mythology, it is the god Brahma who creates the universe and all that there is. Well, to me, it just seemed like an incredibly easy trick because most magicians would use rope and they'd cut rope and they'd make it go back together, but he used almost invisible yellow thread. Well, it was meant to be close-up magic. And then... Uh... I thought you'd you'd enjoy a uh, mention of creative massage. I knew you would think that. <laughs> but I was a little creeped out. Yes, it, it, it would have to come from the right person. <laughs> he's not the man you want to hear saying the words creative massage, is he? He's, he's really not. What I've got here are two groups of cards. This one is blank. And on this one, I have cunningly written words of things that attract the spirits. A crystal ball. Incense, cookie, chocolate chip, a crow's feather, creative massage. Didn't think it was going to be that kind of a program, did you? I made some notes on Dracula and the college girls. I loved that card trick. You know how I feel about Dracula anyway, so anything involving that. Mm. I mean, not like the, the entire trick in, in general, um, although I thought it was quite cool how the, the Dracula card ended up back on the drawing pin again but anyway the faded queen of hearts after he said that you know dracula attacked the girl sucked all the blood out yeah and then he turned the card around and the faded queen of hearts i was like oh my goodness how did it must have actually done it. <laughs> but that that did that did make me wow a little bit that was that was pretty cool yeah i i think i thought the, the dracula and the college girls trick was a good trick but he wasn't necessarily the man i would want to see delivering it yes Agreed. It came off him talking about co-eds and such like. It came off as creepy. Yes. Dracula lures the entire group of college girls onto the back of his coffin. Uh, so what did you think to the VHS trick? Well, you see, now I, I know that we all go on about, I say we all go on. I go on about not wanting to be spoiled, but unfortunately for me, I have also watched uh, a show called The Mentalist, which is it's a, mm. a sort of a modern cop drama thing. But they did this trick, in fact, uh, on an episode of The Mentalist, so I know how that's done. Oh, I'm I'm curious. I mean, I, I so you're coming from a, a, a higher level of knowledge than me on this, so I presume it's got something to do with that big perspex block. Yes, it I'm did. thinking they they clearly distracted the audience with the vase falling off because everyone looked at the vase and yeah. looked in that direction. So presumably they refracted some kind of projection th into the perspex block? Yeah, what happens, right, is that is that there was a ghost of a lady with a hunting knife who just walked through the doors. I'm not giving anything away. Good grief. What, you're not saying? No, I might not be in the magic circle, but I respect this rule, Adam. <laughs> oh, I'm frustrated now. <laughs> <laughs> Tease. <laughs> oh yeah. 
that's me. Um, <laughs> I'm presuming it's a refraction trick, though. That's what I'm guessing. There's got to be something like that. No, it's an actual ghost. You saw oh. her walking through the doors. Exactly like Lady Button in the first episode I of Ghosts that. in Series 2. Did I, you? I think we've been slightly spoiled by watching too much Ghosts. I, I don't think there's such thing as watching too much Ghosts. I liked how the woman from... I didn't write down her name. Panasonic. Or the company... Panasonic, the Panasonic woman, she looked really glamorous and... Terribly uncomfortable. Uh, and yes, her her really glamorous kind of power dressing image didn't gel with how quiet and awkward and uncomfortable she was. I know, I know. Bless her. She looked like a cast member from Dynasty, but was really like quiet. And I think she had terrible camera fright because Paul kept showing, having to tell her which buttons to press on her own video recorder. <laughs> Oh, you have to put the tape in. Eject, yes. And put the tape in. And then you close it. And then you press record and play at the same time. And if it says record in that little window, which is too small for people at home to say, is it? Yes, it is. In that case, you will prove yourself to be a true worker for the company. <laughs> I'm not rushing you, but it's a live show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and... and Normally one would say this might be mansplaining, but I think she was just a bit deer in the headlights. And, like, she clearly, you know, she's from Panasonic, she knows the gear, but I think just all information had gone from her head. <laughs> and I've been on live television before and I can can confirm. The, the, the opening has lots of padding in it before we get to any, any actual tricks, but he's so charismatic that he does carry it. He does. And also I like that... Paul is clearly a magic enthusiast and you can see um, some of it showmanship, but I think you get his real enthusiasm for Houdini just Such, bursting off yeah. the screen. He's sort of, he just lights up when he talks about Houdini. He does. He does. He's like a proper, proper magic geek. And I appreciate that about him. Mm, he's steeped in the whole, um, and it's the thing you got from watching his um, his regular magic show that just sort of how steeped in the history of magic he was and how much he enjoyed talking about and it wasn't just about you know this is my trick but he'd go into like this trick i'm going to do came from you know this historical yeah magician who i really admire and you know i admire all his work and i, I it's possibly a lot of that in magic anyway but you certainly really get that or got that with paul mm. on his shows that it was just just i want you to love magic as much as i love magic and if you don't then i'm not doing my job if you don't i'm going to kill myself on television <laughs> Speaking of which, we go to the main event where Paul repeatedly reiterates that things can go wrong. So for anyone who hasn't seen this, do you want to briefly describe what happens? Well, there's a big trick. And there's a giant contraption called an Iron Maiden. It is a giant big iron box thing with big sharp pointed spikes and Paul Daniels kind of wafts around it quite a lot. And does lots of wafting. He hits the spikes with his things. cane a lot. Yes, he does that in a sort of a, this is an actual real thing, this is not a silly old prop. And also, this could go horribly wrong. He says that a lot. A lot. This can go it wrong if go you're wrong. of a nervous disposition. If you're, preg if you're of a nervous disposition and pregnant. If you're a nervous pregnant woman. I mean, you, you can't be that nervous if you're pregnant. But anyway, that's that's another joke entirely. Um, he he was not. <laughs> it's fine. I'll wait. I'll wait. It was a good one. But there was there was the, the big metal spiky con contraption. 
he pranced around it a lot. He slapped it a few times with a metal cane and said this could all go horribly wrong. And then he was like, uh, so I'd like Debbie to leave right now because obviously he was trying to spare Debbie's feelings should he be killed on in her front birthday. Of her. On her birthday, I mean, go, go, Paul, you know, buy her a bunch of flowers like a normal man. And then he, uh, he got. He got handcuffed into things and neck cuffed into things because magicians are all pretty kinky. And then <laughs> he said, it's fine, I'm going to get myself out of this, don't worry about it. And then two minutes later... If that. If that. Boom! The it door shut. very quickly, doesn't it? It kind of just went thwack. And, and then the credits went up and everybody was like, what the... What... What... Is... That was everybody's reaction. They have like a paper screen in front of where he's standing. Yes. And so the, to, to protect the trick so he can't see how he does it. Yes. And you can still see his, apparently his foot kicking through the screen yes. as the thing slams. So you're led to believe very much that he is still right behind that paper screen and receives the full force of the, uh, of the thing. Yes. And then there's a bit of a shocked silence. Yes. Everybody looks a little bit surprised. And a voice, presumably the, the floor manager? Yeah, I would think so. Says, Ladies and gentlemen, please leave the room in an orderly fashion. And that's the end of the programme. Yeah, and, and then it was silence for the whole for the whole sort of credits going up, just silence. Yeah, it's fade to black, mm. credits running over silence. As Paul said in his very angry letter to the Times, do you really think that they would have had credits ready with silence rolling over them had this really happened. But people aren't thinking of that at the time when they've just watched someone no. <laughs> Paul Daniels just impaled himself on national live television. Of course we're surprised. It took me about 30 years to think, oh yeah, they probably actually wouldn't have credits rolling in silence over black ready. <laughs> but <laughs> certainly at the time. I saw this at the time and I can't remember my exact reaction, but it was shocking. Yes. And they did receive lots of phone calls. And they had there was a filmed... It was supposed to be reassuring because there's a little filmed insert with Paul and Elsie at the very end of Paul saying... Well, what you have just been watching was a live magic show. But this outside here was recorded yesterday. And all I can say is I hope that the last illusion goes well tomorrow. Wink to camera. And again, Paul thought that this should have tipped us off to the fact that it was all faked. But wink to the camera, could have meant anything. Well, apparently, there was a whole other programme. I think it's Sports Scene, I seem to remember. So after that programme, they then had Paul on saying that it was faked and it's all fine. It was quite. It was at least an hour wait that people who hadn't picked up on Paul's subtle clues had to wait to have verif verification that actually he hadn't been skewered horribly. It was a little bit worrying. I wrote down my reaction, mm. and I wrote down three letters. Uh, WTF was was my reaction. <laughs> One of the other things which he said in his letter to the Times was that there were lots of BBC guidelines and if those BBC guidelines hadn't been so rigorous, he wanted to make it a lot worse. Wow. So I can't even imagine how much worse it could be, whether there'd be blood spurting out of the Iron Maiden or what he had in mind, I don't know. But I would certainly be intrigued to know. Or like a, a life-size sort of 
Paul Daniels sort of like like a Paul Daniels dummy with like and then they opened it and it looked like a dead <laughs> Paul Daniels like he would have done that 100% he would have done that well you see the head rolling across the studio floor or something like that <laughs> yes <laughs> just bouncing or, like no a you would have seen the head starting <laughs> starting to roll across but then Elsie would have swooped down and <laughs> picked it up and flown away now that that would have been that would have been well more like it. Traumatising all the kiddies. Yes. <laughs> and and the 37-year-old woman watching it 30-odd years later. <laughs> I actually still get a little nervous watching it. I've, I don't watch it regularly, but I've seen it like three or four times, and every time it comes to that bit, I get that little start to get the little bit of adrenaline. Yeah. I like his acting in it. It's very subtle because he's... Yeah. He's a little bit nervous. I don't know if you picked up on this, and he seems a little bit underprepared. Yeah. So he's he's talking about the the Iron Maiden and the mechanism which will cause it to drop. Now up there's lead shot. That rolls down this chute, goes into this metal canister here, which when it achieves a weight of its own level, we don't, I don't know the exact weight, I'm sorry. And when he's strapped into the machine and he's pulled back, on, like his hands are pulled back on the chains the locks have just been examined they were on the benches when our audience arrived here okay is that on that's good doesn't come off and can you do the same thing for me on this side good ladies and gentlemen this hmm. he doesn't waste any time so it's just all a bit he just seems a little on the wrong he's on the back foot yeah yeah, I, I got that. I got that. And also he says, can someone fasten this around my neck? And clearly he has the whole, you know, in, in real life, he has the whole thing down meticulously. He knows who's going to fasten that, the neck brace around his neck. But just the whole thing is sort of worded, can someone fasten this around my neck? Like he's he's just winging it a bit. Yeah. And it's just a bit rushed. So you're... you're just subliminally, you're not even necessarily noticing this the first time you're watching it, but you just have this sort of subliminal idea that it, he's not fully in command like he normally is. He yes. doesn't have his normal, say yes, Paul, confidence. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I, I, I know you mean, no, uh, just a bit worried. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm Sorry. Just, uh, <laughs> I'll have to stop my impressions. <laughs> uh, it it does it does sound like he's a lot more nervous than he used than, than he normally is, um, like including that the amount of times he says that this could all go horribly wrong, which I know we thought is hilarious, but I guess if you are genuinely worried that you're going to die, <laughs> you would say it about five hundred and sixty-two times. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, it was... Yeah. It, it it was some really good acting. Yeah, and this is 1987. We had Tommy Cooper, like, three years previously. So there's a there's a, a precedence for um, light entertainment stars dying on television in front of a horrified viewing public already. And I think, again, today, I think if such a thing had happened like Tommy Cooper... Yeah. You just wouldn't... You know, you wouldn't even go near that sort of subject again so soon, like three years later. No, no. 
But I think I guess that's why it worked so well because everybody was like, "Yeah, nobody, nobody would go there again." Not so soon after that happened, Paul Daniels is like, "Huh, ah, you've mm. thought." He's yeah, he's he's a, a man of mischief. He's a naughty little imp. <laughs> so yeah, any other thoughts on it? Have we mentioned Anne Robinson's grey shiny dress yet? Because. No. I think that's certainly the stuff of nightmares. Uh, she, because uh, <laughs> it just, it just looked like she was wearing tinfoil. Um, it was awful. It was, it was everything, it was everything that the 1980s should not be remembered for. It was very later. It, it looked very 1987, the whole thing. It was very, very 1987. I mean, Debbie's earrings were bad enough, but Anne Robinson's dress, <laughs> I mean, as it, as if, as if I wasn't going through enough at the end, Anne Robinson's dress was tra- was traumatising me right from the get-go. I was being played. <laughs> Anne Robinson and John Humphreys didn't have very much to do, considering they were the celebrity guests. Anne, Anne Robinson had more to do than John Humphreys. John Humphreys just kind of mm. like sat there saying that he had a face for the radio and nobody argued with him. That was it. Yes, the dignitaries had more to do. They had they a had lot more, more screen to do, time. yes. Oh, the figure I wrote down, 11,000 people rang the BBC. 11,000? Yes, 11,000 people. Wow. They rang in either to complain or just to check he was alive. Yeah, that would have been my my reason for a call rather than... Yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, I was I was is, told is that Paul right? Daniel was going to die and he's not dead. What the hell? <laughs> I was promised a beheading. This isn't a beheading. <laughs> I would, like to complain, I would like to complain in the strongest possible terms about the lack of dead Paul Daniels on my screen right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, no, I would have been calling going, tell me he's not dead. For God's sake. He was just doing a trick. He wasn't doing anything to hurt anybody. Please tell me he's going to be okay. <laughs> would have <laughs> would have been something along the lines of what I would have said. I would have been, when it was broadcast, nearly 13 and I think once I'd got over the shock of seeing Paul Daniels impaled live on television and getting used to that and, and just sort of like, wow, that I've just seen a b- bit of history in the making on television. I think once we found out he was fine, that was almost disappointing. <laughs> oh, he's not dead. Oh, oh, it's just a trick. Huh. And I think because there's no, there's no big reveal as well, I think he was almost forced to like issue a statement after the following program to say guys i'm fine don't worry so it, there wasn't like the big moment of him stepping out of a different cupboard or that kind of thing that you'd normally get in these tricks mm. you'd normally get the big reveal don't worry i'm alive guys Woohoo! yeah you'd even like you'd, you'd maybe run the end credits and then at the very end have the big reveal like yeah i i came out of this place and you all thought i was in there getting spiked everyone went oh phew it's fine but audacious. I, I applaud it. I think it was genuinely remarkable television. I agree. Even if it did traumatise you a bit. A little bit. But I don't mind I don't mind that because I knew that I, I with with the benefit of hindsight, I knew that he was alright at the time. That was no, it was really, really good. I was a big fan of that. It was a good show. Excellent. Thanks for making me watch it. I hadn't watched it. I, I looked it up two or three years ago and I hadn't watched it since since broadcast. And I think I just it got eclipsed by Ghostwatch. So Ghostwatch, I think, was 1992. So that was Halloween five years later. Uh, And that caused even more of a fuss and was more of a prolonged assault on the credulous. What? Uh, 
sadly, uh, Ghostwatch is the 90s, so we probably actually won't do it on this particular podcast because we're just doing the 60s, 70s and 80s. Uh, do you know about Ghostwatch? You've told me about Ghostwatch. We can talk about Ghostwatch briefly here. You haven't seen it. But yes, yeah, so that was a much more... It was essentially a play mm. and it had the opening titles of the regular play slot, early 90s play slot. I, f- I forget the uh, title of it now, the strand now. It was uh, an attempt to do something very realistically. So it was Michael Parkinson hosting a live broadcast from a haunted house. But it wasn't a creaky old Victorian um, Georgian haunted house. It was uh, a modern housing estate, a house in a modern housing estate. And we had Craig Charles, Sarah Green and Mike Smith as the roving reporters on the spot. And it was all shown as as live. Mm. And the whole thing was done as a live studio show. So they had experts in, they were talking to people, they were talking to the people in the house who had the haunting. They were haunted by a man named Pipes, which is just in itself is a really evocative name, I think. I think because he rattles the pipes, so they give him the name Pipes, but that's sort of, it's a name that's gone down in... Don't tell him Pipes. Sorry. I think that joke wins the podcast award <laughs> for this week. You're welcome. I'm, <laughs> so, I'm here all week. Essentially, they play it as if the house is actually haunted and as if terrible things are happen happening. And I don't want to say too much for people who haven't seen it, but I definitely recommend looking it out. And even more people were fooled by that and people were genuinely <laughs> upset and traumatised by it. I wasn't. I was. So 92, I was... You were a grown-up. Nearly 17. Yeah. I was a growed up, but I was very sensitive to acting. So I thought all the presenters were really good and they're very natural. And Sarah Green and Craig Charles in particular had very natural, convincing styles. But the people they got in to play the other characters, I could tell they were acting. Ah. So right from the start, I was saying, that's oh, not real. And I had members of my family were around and they were really shaken up by this thing. And they, no, it's real, it's real. I said, no, it's not their act. Look, she's an actor. You can tell she's delivering lines. And no, it's real, it's real. Um, but it, but it's really cleverly done. It has lots of really clever moments. And he, um, one of my favourite parts in it is the bit where the camera pans around a room and you can see pipes standing by the curtains, I think, in the shot. Just the, the camera's panning, so it's a really fast shot. Mm. And later on in the, epi- in the episode, they have a phone-in show and somebody apparently, a li- live, a member of the public, although it's not, phones in and says, that clip you showed earlier, I'm sure I saw him in, in that clip. So they go back and they run that clip back, but of course he's not in it. And Michael Parkinson says, oh, it's probably just an illusion. And at, the, at that time, they're talking to someone who purports to be a ghost expert who believes all this stuff. But even she says, oh, sometimes your mind plays tricks on you and you see things. So even she's, even the ghost believer and the expert is is telling you that, that that glimpse we had earlier wasn't real and we saw the tape roll back and it wasn't real. But the people who noticed it were like shouting at the TV, no, I saw it. Or they say, I'm sure I saw it as well. I saw it. Did you see it? And that kind of thing. So it's really cleverly done. Yeah. So I think the Paul Daniels show sort of got eclipsed in people's memories that that Ghost Watch became such a milestone in that kind of thing. And it also received so many complaints that it's something they would never try again, yeah. which is a shame because it was really good. 
but they got into so much trouble for it. Gosh. Hooray for Paul Daniels, yes. That's that's my thing on it. Thank you very, very much for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we'd love that. Uh, you can follow us at retro underscore tube on Twitter. Or if you'd like to email us, if, 20, if 280 characters is not going to be enough for you, then you can always email us. Our email address is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com. And as ever, we would love to hear from you. Thank you very much. Until next time. Quite. Are you going to like this? Going to like it? Not a lot. Not a lot. You're going to be delighted. Get excited. Maybe, but not a lot. You're going to see a whole lot of magic. Look at this trick and that trick. And when he says it's not a lot, you'll agree such a lot. This is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. My folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. Don't talk to strangers, don't play on the farm, and don't go to Almondby. Heather's on-off boyfriend Stephen has gone to the mysterious village of Almondby. He went for two weeks, and no one has seen him in six months. The only trace of him which remains is his voice, distantly calling for help, drifting across the fizz of shortwave radio. With a couple of friends in tow, Heather sets off through a warped, distended version of the English countryside, baking in perpetual summer, to track Stephen down, and to find out for herself why everyone says, don't go to Almondby. Author Eric LaRocca called Lost in the Garden eerily enchanting and profoundly inventive, a dreamy and unsettling masterwork. This is one of the freshest and most spiritually rewarding novels I've read in quite some time. And author Matt Wazilowski described it as like trying to recall a troubling and beautiful dream. It's like peering through a wound in the world, sorrowful and uncanny and utterly stunning. This book is magnificent, like nothing I've ever read before. Thank you, Matt and Eric. Lost in the Garden by Adam S. Leslie, published by Denink Books, priced at ten ninety nine. Look for the pink and white cover.